don't hide your light under a bucket. That is not... <laughs> Isn't it don't hide your light under a bushel? What? What's the... Well, I've, I've said that before, but I'm thinking, I, thought, I don't even know what a bushel is. Like, it's... <laughs> What's a bushel? We'll go with bucket. I like that yeah. one. Don't hide your light under a bucket. You're listening to The Occupational Philosophers with Simon Banks and John Rice. Hello and welcome to The Occupational Philosophers, a not-so-serious business podcast to help spark your curiosity, creativity and imagination. But before we go any further, hello to you, Simon, and what's caught your curious eye this week? Well, John, as we always like to kick off, because curiosity is at the heart of being a great occupational philosopher, what's caught my eye this week is a mashup of art and science at the National Gallery of Victoria. Aha. Uh-huh. Where's that? In Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I guess. I yeah. thinking... <laughs> we'll cut this back. Don't worry. Let's keep going. <laughs> I was thinking London, Victoria, because that's where no. I was yesterday. No, no, I, I realised You've been yeah, in Victoria, Victoria in Australia. Okay. Yeah, in Australia. You paused as if I was meant to go, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Victoria. The what glamour. this is about is there's scientists or, and designers, there's designers and artists, and they're creating uh, products which are saving the world, like reef installations, which uh-huh. animals can then go and live on and create these beautiful environments. But they also look that good, and the design and artistic structure means they have been exhibited in the National Gallery of Victoria. So I'm interested in having a designer's mindset combining with scientists and this collaboration piece in the middle and artists as well they've been able to design these world-changing products and these artificial reefs are now being sent all over the world so that caught my eye that mashup yeah that is incredible so functional and beautiful yeah which is what design is that it's, it's very hard and it's that ability to bring those the beauty and the structure, or the, the structure is the strength, but the structure is the beauty as well. So that, that mashup and different modalities of thinking, I like to call it, John. Ah, well, maybe sort of slightly connected to that. What I've noticed this week has been that today is the 2nd of February. So it's uh, yep. two of the two of the second month and the year is 22. And so at 202, 22 that's today. It's a very special moment. It's one of those moments which could be, it could foretell something. But better than that is the fact, and this is because I like patterns and numbers, is later in the month, on the 22nd of the month, 22nd of February, at 22 minutes past 10, if you look at your clock and calendar, it will say 22-22-22-22. There you go. And it happens on a Tuesday. <laughs> so apparently it's called Tuesday. <laughs> there you go. Isn't that, that is cool, though. I think it's only going to happen once this century. So there you go. So, Simon, can you tell us a little bit about what today's about? I think you're going back to the world of art, aren't you? 
I am and inspired by what caught my curious eye that always interested in that intersection of people who look at the world differently and do things differently and what we can learn from that. So we previously visited one of our besties, I feel, like along with Albert Einstein, Leonardo da Vinci, the ultimate Renaissance man, his sidekick, very grumpy sidekick, Michelangelo, who didn't enjoy each other's company. And then we went forward about you know, 500 years to or 400 years to visit Frida Kahlo. And there were such great insights, but really we only scratched the surface of the great creators we can take inspiration from. So today we're going to talk about another three artists and very well known, but most importantly, what can we learn? What can we digest? What can we apply to the world of uh, our own world? What can we apply in our teams and in our organizations? So who have you got for us then? Well, John, our first artist, one of my faves, Spanish. Any guesses? Uh-huh. Uh, Spanish artists, I would probably have either Picasso or Dali would probably be my guess. Yeah, Salvador. No, the only sorry. ones I know. <laughs> there are some. <laughs> well, Is that you've, right? you've got both of them right, but we'll look at Picasso. Hey! So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I thought, oh, okay. shit, Dali's Spanish as well. I didn't uh, I didn't. <laughs> I've been to a gallery. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a little look at Picasso. Now, when you think of Picasso, what do you think of? There's a style connected to his art, which he's most normally known for. Well, I think I probably sort of think first of just crazy faces with bits everywhere. Yep, yep, that's that's pretty much it, all right? Crazy faces with bits everywhere. Now, these bits, though, were arranged in a certain way, and think Rubik's right. Cube, think Rubik's Cube unfolded, and his artwork um, had a particular so name at the end okay. of his career. Uh, is it Cubism? Yes, yes, it is, John. Yeah. Yeah. Now, okay. here's what I want before we go into Cubism, and I will go into it. Artists are looking at things. And they're thinking, all right, I can see one side of it, but what would happen if I could see all angles at once in a 2D Uh format? So imagine it's like, you know, when you put the cube together, when you make a cube at school in science, and then you unfold it and sort of flat T-shaped piece. So cubism is essentially that. And as artists always do, they like to look at the world differently. So Picasso and also another guy called Georges Braque they sort of started to look at different views of the subjects, which are mostly often objects or figures, and fragment them and abstract them in the artwork. So we're looking at multiple angles and multiple sides of that object all at once. That's a great, succinct description of cubism. Thank you. I'm, I'm, right. sure I'm not alone. And, and just going, I get it. You just unfold stuff and then reconstitute it by the sounds of it, as you said there. Yeah, that's great. I get that. It doesn't make those pictures any less crazy to look at, but yeah. Well, well here's <laughs> the thing. What he was trying to do now, yeah. Now, here's the thing. I've spoken about this before, but the role of art or painters originally was to record a scene, record a moment in time, record someone's personality, record the way someone looked, often funded by people who could afford to pay for it as well, which, you know, still is the case. But something came along and with a click of a button, that type of realistic art changed. What do you think it was? My clue, the click of a button. Oh, photography. 
Yeah, yeah. So all of a sudden, someone goes, <laughs> I've spent five years capturing this castle. Someone goes, oh, what? Oh, <laughs> Just going to go and get it developed and wave, <laughs> wave it back and forth like you did in the art room. School. Exactly. So all of a sudden, uh, essential artist yeah. on bollocks. All right. I've got this way of looking at the world, which is no longer as relevant as it was. So artists then decide well we let's challenge the way we look at the world and represent challenge what we see which is where these different styles and looking at the world started to come about the plein air artists like the matisse and the monets they said well let's try and capture the light in a situation especially when you're thinking england or tasmania where i'm from originally the weather's a bit more inclement the light will change a hundred times during the day Mm-hmm. You might get that beautiful moment of that light. So they said, let's put this stuff on really quickly. So then we capture the light in that moment. So they went from being realistic to actually capturing light. All these different movements of art started, which cubism is one of them, which is like almost unfolding the cube. That's fantastic. This is, I feel like I'm in art school. This is like a lecture. <laughs> Pick up your I pencil. I feel like my my brain's expanding. I'm actually trying to, I'm understanding the world of modern art. Does that, in terms of the period that we're in, Simon, that you're talking about, does it constitute modern art? You talked about Renaissance, but are we now in the era of modern art, Picasso and people like that? No, no, modern art's come and gone, actually. Modern art was sort of like early oh, right. 1900s. Yeah. So I, Truthfully, I don't know what the period we're in. It's, yeah, it's uh, the crazy art period. <laughs> I don't know what the moment we're in. But cubism, what I like about this, what this is pertinent for business, game changers, people pushing out new ideas. When Picasso, he put together a painting and it's called, excuse my French, Les, de, Les Demoiselles d'Avignon, de which is of the five ladies of Avignon. Now, Artists at the time, because they wanted to capture real people, they would often go in and paint in brothels as well because the women, let's say, possibly more comfortable taking their clothes off, no dispersions uh, or anything, but very happy to pose. And so often muses were prostitutes. And so he was doing uh, five girls in the brothel, but then applied this cubism and he would paint naked women all the time because, you know, form artists are fascinated by form. And he did this cubist representation. What do you think the reaction was? <laughs> what, of him painting prostitutes? No, so, no painting uh, prostitutes. That was way cool. But, but, but they, they represented in this cubist style. What do you think the reaction was? Well, probably some sort of outrage and horror and, oh, my yeah. gosh, what have you done? Yeah, this outrage. Is, is, Absolutely yeah. outrage. Yeah. Absolutely outrage. Yeah. However... We look back on these things, in, especially in the world of art, which were outrageous at the time, and now we go, oh, Picasso, oh, we love it. So <laughs> I think there's something in this, how we respond to things which are new and different and challenge the way that we look at the world to be a little bit more open. So almost the encouragement there would be that in business, in workplace, if we have ideas that do have people sort of recoil slightly, we could be on the right track. Possibly, yeah. There's we something found, in it, though. We may have yeah. found something genius. Yeah, yeah. They were, and these guys were like they were like the Elon Musks of their time. They were the ones that sat on the edge of people, oh, a bit uncomfortable with what they're doing, and uh, you know, I don't like it, or I do like it, or it's not something I'm comfortable with. All of these artists, they pushed boundaries massively at the time. Yeah. 
They also have represent people like Picasso have a real reputation of being maverick and a bit rebellious and a bit crazy at times with some of their antics off canvas, as you might say. <laughs> um, is that so? Do you think that sometimes gets in the way though? This whole thing we've talked about this about do ordinary people and I put myself in that category sometimes look at Picasso and Dali and people and and see that as creative as something out there and not of our world in in our normal working lives or whatever and is that sometimes the disconnect that we look at that as being not something we would ever be able to be like or do yeah and i think it's because we go to galleries and we see this stuff on walls we think oh that's something that someone professional has done like that's someone yeah. that, that they've got something i don't have but i might have used this example before we don't see someone running past us when you're running and you know i both run you know i get i'm pretty heavy so i get, I get past pretty regularly i don't look at them and go oh i'm gonna stop you've just passed me i go no we're you know i'm running at my speed you're running at your speed it's the same thing with creativity okay yeah so you find your own pace you find your own yeah furrow to plow and yeah whatever <laughs> works for you so even if you're kevin in accounts you can Even, you can draw now. Uh, now I was thinking about this. If there's someone called Kevin who works in accounts, I, f- I started <laughs> to feel a bit bad because this last year or the year before in Australia, we had an incident caught on TV. There was a lady called Karen. I'm not sure if this has gone over to the, to the UK, uh-huh. and she was in like one of our large hardware stores right at the beginning of the pandemic, a couple of years ago, refusing to put a mask on, and she was saying. No way, I'm not doing it. I'm a citizen of the world and et cetera. My name's Karen. So now we've got this vernacular in Australia. Oh, you're being a real Karen. So my kids always, <laughs> and I know this because my daughter's got really long hair and my wife was saying, oh, you should, cut, <laughs> you should cut your hair a little bit shorter. She goes, I'm not going to look like a Karen with a bob. So... <laughs> All oh, right, and so then it's, I thought it's in common language, yeah. Well, I thought like we're calling someone Kevin from accounts, so let's just say something different, Brian from accounts. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, that improves it, yeah. Now we've just picked on two people, Kevin and Brian. Now are both getting complexes out there. Apologies to <laughs> Kevin, Brian, and. <laughs> Coming back yeah. to Picasso and maybe thinking about, well, two things. What quotes is he renowned for? I had one in my mind that was attributed to Picasso, which was this idea of good artists copy, but great artists steal. And I thought that was something of his. And I know we've had that quote before in an earlier episode, but he's got some um, great quotes. And then maybe that leads into some lessons or thoughts that we might have from Picasso that we can apply. Well, let's explore that quote first. When you think of that quote, I've got my own interpretation. What do you think? Well, I, I was just going to, I was trying to think of how it would work, but I suppose what you initially do is you often do copy. I mean, I, I do, when I remember when I started sketching, I would copy something quite faithfully and you'd get good at it or you get more proficient as you went. I suppose the idea with him stealing stuff is, you all build on ideas you start to connect dots so you might see an idea here and an idea there but what makes your idea genius is the fact that you've connected those two seemingly separate things and created something new so there's no harm in stealing from this place and this place if what you then create builds on an idea maybe i don't know absolutely like inspiration is everywhere inspiration is everywhere 
So, as opposed to direct plagiarism, I was trying to work. I was trying to work out <laughs> if it work in other <laughs> other lines of work. So, no, what well, it absolutely works in organisations. What are other people doing that we can take inspiration from? Okay, what are other people doing that we can do even better because we've got better systems, we've got better processes? Where can I find something which hasn't worked so well somewhere else, and I can do it there? Like, with uh, what are some different things that people aren't connecting that I can connect? So inspiration is everywhere and there's a book by austin cleon k-l-e-o-n and steal like an artist because that's the whole thing artists steal ideas wrong being the being the wrong word steal but artists appropriate ideas from everywhere you ask a, a musician what are your influences oh leonard cohen i grew up listening to jim and hendrix and my mum loved abba so you know what i mean we always talk around these influences. so i think it's it's absolutely spot on and there's nothing, uh, you know, I've heard also nothing is original from another artist. I'm not sure who, but, you know, we, we all take inspiration from elsewhere. And I think we often poo-hoo ourselves because I haven't got an original idea. Just use other people's ideas and connect them in an original way. My quote I love of his, and this is used all the time, and there's a couple of versions of this. Every child is an artist. The problem is how to remain an artist once he grows up. And there's another one attributed to Picasso. It took me four years to paint like Raphael, but a lifetime to paint like a child. Mm. And this is what we, we, this is at the heart of our show. Like how do we retain that childlike joy, that childlike wonder, that childlike curiosity, pick up rocks, look underneath them, squish things together. How do we maintain that? That's at the heart of being a great occupational philosopher. I really like that one. Yeah, because that, again, goes to the idea of just liberating yourself. It's like we said yeah. about the imagination of children. It knows no bounds. They don't put up barriers and obstacles to stuff. They are completely free in their thinking. So, yeah, that's definitely one we can take into to the work that we do. And imagine if it's like uh, in your organisation, I know how to think like a child but apply it like an adult. You know what I mean? It's like that as an adult, you've got that added benefit of your experience. But, but we kids also have that they don't have a bullshit radar like we do and they're more open and they'll try th- new things. So it's that mashup of different things that I think would be really nice. Before we move off of Picasso, Simon, just a couple of other things. I know he was very prolific in his output. I mean, I think he was an artist, as it were, a working artist for something like 78 years of his yeah. of his life from the age Mad. of Eight, mm. eight to whatever again that's something we know is just that creativity is hard work persistence and continuous application isn't it we know that some numbers here john though which we should look at and this is off his picasso.org website picasso produced about a hundred and forty seven thousand. 800 pieces so when you're talking prolific this was insane prolific but what i like about this so you have to enjoy he did this because he enjoyed what he was doing Thirteen and a half thousand paintings hundred thousand prints now prints obviously you can make one print and then produce more of the same print so that might have blown the numbers out a little bit 300 sculptures and ceramics and thirty-four thousand illustrations wow Who do we have next, Simon? I think I might have mentioned their name earlier because you were asking me about Spanish artists. Yeah, I blew it with my crap clue of the century, and it is (laughs) Salvador Dali. 
Now, I think we right. briefly mentioned Salvador in another episode. But yeah, the twi- the twiddling mustache, very iconic. The twiddling mustache. I'm doing that. We can't obviously people can't see that, but I'm twiddling a fictional mustache hanging Which- very widely across my face. <laughs> about eight foot that long. Way. It is. It's getting bigger. Now, what do you know about Salvador Dali? Well, probably a bit more than I did about Picasso in so much as uh, I remember at school, one of my first sort of pictures that I copied was the persistence of memory with the big, the big famous one with the melted clocks and ants. There was ants on a lot of stuff, wasn't there? So I remember doing that landscape with the melted clocks and things. So I know that. Obviously, I know the moustache. I know he was founder of the surrealist movement of art. Yeah. Which right. was just, as you say, <laughs> exhibited through something like the persistence of memory, where you got yep. clocks that looked like melted cheese and stuff. So it was all that dreamlike imagery that he was part of. After Picasso's Cubist period and stuff, wasn't it? It was a, it led on from that, did it? Yeah, I'm not just sure. Another way of interpreting reality. Yeah. But they would have crossed over, absolutely, because they, Picasso died in 73 and Salvador Dali in 1989, so much more uh, recent. Now, what I love about this, which I think is something we can take, is a sort of surrealism is began as a cultural movement, John, started by the French poet named André Breton, but what it means is above realism. Now, surrealists believe that the subconscious mind, such as dreams and random thoughts, held the secret to truth. Essentially, surrealism is about accessing your subconscious, which is where so many of our great ideas live, which we've often spoken about being able to access that subconscious like on a run, or at a time when you're not in that executive attention mode, in that sort of list-making productivity mode. So that art, surrealism, was about sort of accessing the subconscious. They're well known to take a little bit of LSD to help that process, but (laughs) (laughs) which is why you might get some of that uh, melting clocks and that different thing and those different pieces. But interested about these dimensions coming together. Why would you need LSD? My dreams are crazy enough. I don't need LSD. I mean, I've already come up with some dream ideas. I've got a chocolate mousse-powered lawnmower patent pending. (laughs) So I don't need LSD to come up with crazy ideas. They already happen in my head. Yeah, well, they're they're the same. but Supercharging supercharging your dreams. My understanding, (laughs) I think, the LSD, but the dreams into the daytime. Let's say, let's say. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so let's say that. But what I loved about Salvador Dali had a little experiment. So he would want to have a micro nap, but he'd set up balance a spoon above him. So the moment he'd go to sleep, the spoon would fall down, ping, and he'd get the benefit of a micro nap. But then he'd wake up and go, "Oh, okay. I need to go and paint what's in my mind or record what's in my mind." Yeah. Ah. Okay. So I'll take some cutlery to bed tonight and I'll just <laughs> put it by the side of the pillow and as it smashes to the floor, go, cheese earmuffs, hurrah, another invention. You look over and uh, your wife, she's got a, a fork sticking out of her ear and you go, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he was very much into embracing a different way of, of looking at the world, okay? And as we know, uh, if you look at the world in the same way all the time, you will, especially, I guess, within the world of work, if you're not open to new thoughts, you'll get the same results. Now, John, like Picasso, Salvador did a lot of stuff, which is another theme coming through uh, some of our artists. And I think even back to Leonardo and uh, Michelangelo. 
Yeah, I just think it straight away, Simon, one of the things about how we can apply this in a work context, we'll often see, and I'm sure you see it as well, where you've got teams and functions and departments kind of sort of operating in their own swim lane. You know, it's the good old classic yeah. silo mentality that you often have talked about and you suddenly go, oh, okay, well, can we recreate that polymath experience by having people go across swim lanes and just see what's going on over there? as distinct to just staying in their own function and discipline, just to create that connections. And I think, and you probably have a similar thing when you do anything with a team in an organisation, you might, what might we like to do to shift the way we think? Do you find that suggestion always comes up? I'd like to spend a day with, you know, I'm going to say accounts. <laughs> I'd like to spend a day in. <laughs> Brian, Brian's not interested though. <laughs> He's already had that experience. And he knows what happened to Kevin, so he's not letting anyone in the accounts department. Yeah, you hear that all the time. I'd like to spend yeah. some time a day. And we always say, is that achievable? And everyone looks around and they go, yeah, it is. Like, there's absolutely yeah. nothing stopping that. Because then, and often it might extend to a week, and often in a professional way, you might be seconded to, you know, marketing or um, PR or, you know, whatever that may be. But become that Salvador Dali in your organisation because you've swum in another lane. But don't take any LSD. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> now, have you come across a show called The Tourist in the UK at the moment? Oh, just started watching it, so don't don't tell me. All right, me okay. Uh, okay. LSD session. Uh, <laughs> show four or yeah, five. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's quite fun. <laughs> anyway, we're, we're wandering off. Now, Salvador Dali, what I like is, and there's a bit of a, in the art world, there's a little bit of, oh, you don't want to do that commercial stuff. There's a little bit of that underlying, oh, you're not a true artist. What I love about Salvador Dali, screw that. Okay, so here's some of the things that he did. He went over the United States. He designed uh, shop windows on Fifth Avenue. He worked on marketing campaigns for organisations. He collaborated on set design for ballet. He worked on two Hollywood films, one with Alfred Hitchcock, Spellbound, and Disney's Destino, which was only released in 2003, and he authored two books and at the same time continued to paint and sculpt. So the lesson there is, look how these things feed into each other. Yeah, he didn't stop, did he? And he just didn't seem to take himself too seriously. There's something also that's distinct to Picasso. He wasn't so much the tortured artist. He just seemed to be having fun. I don't know. It seemed different. Yeah, I, and what I liked <laughs> is... He thought about, look, I'm an interesting person. I know that. I'm going to embrace that interesting person. He didn't hide his light. He didn't put a bucket over his light and kept it <laughs> hidden. He embraced his Wait his a light. second. Wait a second. Don't hide your light under a bucket. That is not <laughs> – isn't it don't hide your light under a bushel? What? What's the well, – I've, I've said that before, but I'm thinking I, thought, I don't even know what a bushel is. Like – <laughs> What's the bushel? We'll go with bucket. I like that yeah. one. Don't hide your light under a bucket. But don't, I, I think there's it a, all there's a quote. <laughs> God, those guys are smart. I listened to this show and they said, "Don't hide your light under a bucket." I learned so much. <laughs> <laughs> I get a new hashtag every week. <laughs> hashtag pending. Don't hide your light under a bucket. However, you must know this. There is so there is so much. We all have so much hidden talent. And again, we see in organisations people who have these great hidden talents, which would be so beneficial to the world of their work, but they're a little bit shy in saying something, sort of keep a little bit quiet. You know, there's so much more you can bring, but you swim in your lane. Yeah, that's it. 
<laughs> don't hide your light under a bucket. <laughs> Swim in <laughs> someone else's lane. <laughs> Swim in someone else's lane, and then at the end of it all, kick that bucket. And there you go. That's the now, end of it. on quotes, on quotes, John, we always like uh, our yes. quotes. What's one that you like from uh, Salvador? I've got my favourite. What's something that you... Well, I was I was perusing these. So those who do not want to imitate anything produce nothing. And obviously that caught my eye because it went back to that comment we had earlier about good artists copying, great artists stealing. But uh, that's an encouragement almost to get going and don't hold back in terms of copying and producing stuff that maybe is emanating from someone else's idea. Yeah, and when you create... Is that, is that the wrong interpretation? Or no. Just, is there a different interpretation there? I think it's spot on. But when you create, you think of more ideas as you create. Like when you write, as you write, your brain starts to flow and you think, oh, I mean, not always. I don't send this writer's block. But as you write, you'll come up with new ideas through the act of writing. What about you, Simon? Which quotes do you like that you think are useful for us to ponder? Now, this has been one of my favourites a long time before this show. Every morning I wake up, I experience an exquisite joy, the joy of being Salvador Dali. And I ask myself in rapture, what wonderful things is this Salvador Dali going to accomplish today? <laughs> and we love the idea of referencing yourself in the third person. <laughs> I, I'm going to try that and I'm going to do it in front of my wife and see what she says. I will wake up and say, what is John Rice going to do today? What wonderful thing? And uh, once she's taken the fork out of her head, <laughs> she, can, she can stab me with it. Uh, now, I think anyone else almost saying this, you would go, what a, you know, you'd put some hashtag after that. But what I like is he, he woke up and thought, what am I going to produce? What am I going to create? It's a joy to be alive. And what a nice way to, to wake up in that little sort of thought in bed every morning. What cool thing am I going to do today? Well, I suppose... Joking aside, the thing is he sets an intention very early on, doesn't he? And we kind of touch on that. You know, we had the advent calendar experiment and there was a it was the first thing I looked at. So it set the tone for yeah. the day that it was going to encompass and incorporate something creative. And so it does set a tone for the day. So yeah, I get the idea of setting the tone. And I think that's a good thing that we could learn from. Because we could do that in in a meeting, couldn't we? What wonderful thing are we going to solve today? Or what wonderful thing are we going to turn our attention to today, guys? So you could, there's a way of framing it, but you know what I mean. No, I think it's or great. Wait, no, no, I do. <laughs> I felt like uh, there was a dead fairy inside me that woke up when you said, what, <laughs> what wonderful thing are we going to achieve today? Like, imagine going to a meeting and say, what wonderful <laughs> things are we going to achieve in the next hour? Everyone would be like, what? Oh, <laughs> isn't that a nice way to frame it, though? Like, <laughs> yeah. You could frame it differently. It's all about scene setting, tone setting. So I think we can take that. Okay, John, as with all great philosophers, it's time for, not saying we're great philosophers, but as in the spirit of great philosophers, it's time for a thought experiment. A thought experiment, we challenge our way of thinking, we open our mind up, we challenge our modalities and make us ask questions we wouldn't normally ask. Now, Today's thought experiment is called Things Artists Do. Now, an artist being writers, actors, a few different things. So you have to tell me if this is true or not. Lord Byron took a bear around campus at Cambridge University as dogs were banned on campus. 
and he was outraged, but he looked <laughs> in the book and he said, well, you're not banning a bear. That sounds exactly like the type of thing aristocrats of that period would have done. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to say true. Yeah, definitely true. Probably, You're right. Probably, probably still do it in Cambridge today. It's probably some, some law that still hasn't been revoked. <laughs> I saw a hipster with a bear last time I was there. So yeah. <laughs> smoking a cigarette, yeah. <laughs> That's it. Right, true. Go true. down to Girton College. He's got a hippo. <laughs> In his flat. <laughs> All right, now, next one. Ozzy Osbourne. He was so terrible at always wanting to leave the house and socialise and never do his work on his last album that his family held him down. No, he fell asleep and they painted fake glasses on him with ink that would last for two weeks so he wouldn't leave the house so he would get the album finished. True or not? (laughs) Now, I can either play the odds and think, oh, okay, I reckon that one's false, but (laughs) I'm going to say... Actually, you know, he wears sunglasses all the time. I think that's false. I think they do something else to keep him in the house. Maybe. Correct, <laughs> correct. <asleep. laughs> that is false. That is false. However, however. There was a logic just, through that, wasn't there? Yeah. <laughs> I found you, you, a way you, went, through. you went logic. I didn't see that when I <laughs> thought of this. I thought he will never get this one. But it was, <laughs> it was inspired, stealing with pride, by the ancient Greek orator, Demosthenes, I think, Demosthenes, and he had a brilliant solution for himself to make sure he stayed writing and wouldn't get distracted by things going outside. He would shave half his head, which was such a ridiculous look that he was forced to stay inside and complete his writing until the hair grew back. (laughs) Fantastic. So next time you see me, if I've got half a head of hair missing, then you know I'm trying to write a book. (laughs) Write your your next novel. novel. Now... Agatha Christie would write in the bath. True or false? Uh, I'm going to say false. She strikes me as trite traditionalist. I, I always imagine Agatha Christie sat by a window with a writing desk. So I'm going to say false. No, that is true. And I read that a lot oh. about this. A lot of writers will do different things to put them in that mood or the space for writing and literally what we said before, to release the mind. Now, oh, I knew uh, Churchill used to sort of dictate letters in the bath. That's one of the famous stories of Churchill, that his, his executive assistant would sit outside the door on a chair <laughs> and he would shout through the door a letter to to Stalin or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> I, did, I didn't know that. So. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, very good. Now, Oscar Wilde would walk the streets with a lobster on a leash. No, that's, that's, I mean, I know Darley did a lobster telephone, but I'm going to say no. I mean, the poor thing would be scraped to death, wouldn't it? No, you can't do that. Won't be. (laughs) Please tell me I've got. It's true. Oh, what? (laughs) It's like dragging a a rock like the poor. I was going to say, by the end of it, by the time you got home, it wouldn't have been any bigger than a sort of. It'd be, sh- it'd be shelled, ready for eating. If you, <laughs> if you... <laughs> anyway, that's not nice. That's uh, animal cruelty. So, yeah. hear what we like now. Mozart remembered as a musician, but he also, in his spare time, he would write incredibly graphic, nearly unprintable material in the form of letters. He would write some to his mother, 
who, to be fair, was in on the joke, so she wrote back and would respond in kind. Like one example was to his dear old mum, I now wish you good night. Shit in your bed with all your might. Sleep with peace on your mind and try to kiss your own behind. True or false? (laughs) I'm going to go with true because I think Mozart, again, I think, He's portrayed in one of the films, Amadeus or something, Mozart, slightly zany character. So I'm going to say true. True, John. Well done. Okay, John, our last artist. And I think, as we often talk about, a mashup of the previous two. Now, I know you don't know this person as yet. American artist. We've left Spain. Adios. American artist. (laughs) Think New York, late 60s, 1970s. Who pops to mind? Andy Warhol. Yeah, bingo. He's probably the only, because that would be the only artist I know in the 60s and 70s in New York. Yeah, Andy Warhol, I'm guessing. What's he known for? A little bit of a quiz. Well, I'm going to show some limited knowledge. Two pieces that spring to mind is the multicolored Marilyn Monroe yeah. pastiche or replicated Marilyn Monroe faces. I think yeah. I've seen that probably. And of course the Campbell soup tin, yeah. which always struck me as just taking the piss a bit. But <laughs> Well, it, it, it is and it isn't. So I'll talk a little bit about sort of how pop art came about in many ways. They felt, you know, if you're a young, cool 1960s, 1970s teenager, up and coming creative in New York, you're looking at a lot of these artists and thinking that stuff, which is 30, 40, 50 years, has no relevance to me. I'm in an outwardly mobile hip cat out and about. I'm taking my inspiration from other places like music, like imagery I'm seeing, like packaging, advertising, movies. And so that is where this popular pop art is, you know, popular culture represented in the form of art so inspiration came from different places so he was taking what was seemingly ordinary and people may not have felt connected to but bringing it to life visually and vividly and saying look there's something beautiful here that perhaps you haven't seen before I think so, yeah, 100%. He saw beauty in what could be the mundane. So he saw art in a can of soup and he made that bigger and he redesigned it a little bit and then repeated it in different colours. So all of a sudden, again, a lot of outrage at the time as per Dali and Picasso, what the hell is this? Yeah, what's this? What is this on my wall? But aside to those two pieces of work, I think I knew he used, he just used to hang around, didn't he? He had that, the was it the factory or something? It was where the all yeah. hip, young and famous came together. And that's probably as much as I know. So what I love about Andy Warhol as like one of our previous artists we spoke about, Leonardo da Vinci, was his own man. He was flamboyant. He was out there, all these bright, amazing colours through the piazzas in Italy. Andy Warhol was the same. He owned his personality. And, again, an openly gay man like Leonardo said, you know, this is who I am. Accept me who I am. And as such, he attracted a really unique bunch of creative, cool, out there individuals, which all became part of this scene at the factory, which was essentially a bit like Studio 54, like one of the hottest, coolest places to hang out in New York in the 1970s. I have this image of it being like the last days of Rome. Yeah. 
<laughs> I'm sure it's great fun. <laughs> but you wouldn't last long, would you? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm just disappointed I wasn't I wasn't on the invite list. Uh, <laughs> I thought, what a, what, a, what a scene to be involved in. But again, he was involved in so many different things. He wrote books. He sculpted. He did film, music. He founded magazines. In, wrote his books was like the the philosophy of Andy Warhol and popism, the Warhol sixties, and it's quite interesting. So you often see some people who are not the lone creative spirit or artist, but you do have that. So Picasso just did his thing. He seemed a bit more collaborative. He seemed to draw influence not only from the things around him, but from the people around him as well. Would that be true? Everyone was his muse. Yeah. That helped him. My understanding, which I think is something when we think around this hotbed of uh, creativity, you might even say productivity if you want to look at it another way, this environment where people felt safe, they felt welcome, they could try new things. didn't matter who you were or where you were from. You could be the creative, curious, imaginative person that you wanted to be. And would it be true to say, with that in mind, there's more parallels that we can take into the world of work with the Warhol set up? I'm not suggesting <laughs> organisations suddenly need to set up the factory room <laughs> on the top floor. But the idea that creating that environment of safety, of creative ideas all mashing together, they can create those environments in a Warhol fashion. And also think around, so how do we create that environment? How do we look with those curious eyes so we see inspiration where other people might not find it? So how can we be open and connected and see the world in a different way? And how? what's the Campbell's soup can that we're ignoring? Oh, did I steal your line, did I? I (laughs) You did. I was just about to say that, is that you, within the business, you go, right, where's our Campbell's soup tins? What's the things that we think are just quite sort of, mundane or just things that are just always going to be that way and can actually we look at those in a new light and make them vivid and bring them to life in a different way it could be a process it could be a system or structure or whatever or an idea and suddenly go actually we can transform this yeah absolutely find the campbell soup tins there's another hashtag i like it i like it john as always now some quotes for let's a couple of quotes from i'm going to go into one and i think it's quite pertinent and you would probably work, you come across, you know, change management, this term, and putting through change projects and people work in, you know, agile and change delivery in different spaces. I like this one. When people are ready to, they change. They never do it before then. And sometimes they die before they get around to it. You can't make them change if they don't want to. Just like when they do want to, you can't stop them. Wow. That is a quote to put on the wall. That's... <laughs> <laughs> that would that would be a good one to to put there framed in the middle of the room as you were about to sort of talk about a new change program wouldn't it well one of the ones i was just looking at some of the ones that uh, we pulled together but don't think about making art just get it done let everyone else decide if it's good or bad whether they love it or hate it while they're deciding make even more art uh, that, that's such a great one just get started whatever it is yeah get started just that again that goes back right to the very beginning what he's declaring there is that kind of idea of the ogre that's hanging over yeah. people what are people going to think what if this is not good enough what if they don't like it what if it's rubbish or they think i'm an idiot and he's just going no just keep going just you keep pushing through past the ogre's inner voice that sort of is plagues us all yeah because if you doubt yourself you'll never produce anything 
So, John, as a not-so-serious business podcast, we always like to draw a few little lessons at the end of our show, just a bit of reflection on what's gone through. And look, we've spoken about three artists. So what's the key takeaway from the world of Pablo Picasso? For Picasso, for me, I think just the fact that he had us look at reality in a completely different way. We know that I think in businesses, that's what we're often trying to do when we innovate is to, can you present something in a completely different way to have people think about it and see beyond what they're seeing at the moment? So yeah, looking at things in a very, very different way. I went for- What about you? Yeah, constantly reinvented himself. Like he produced art for 78 years. And even though we spoke about cubism, because that's what he was known for, he had blue periods, red periods. And in the end of his life, he's just doing those really simple childlike illustrations. Like he completely changed. He was open to change. And I liked that and kept adapting to the times, I would say. So adapting would be the, the lesson, I think, to bring into business, isn't it? That constant reinvention, adaptation. Yeah, but also be open just as a person, reinvent yourself. You think, I want to try something new. I want to do a new job. Like be open to, you know, if you're the same person you were 20 years ago, I don't know, (laughs) maybe it's time to do something different. I don't know. I got an invite to a school reunion, but I don't think I want to go. (laughs) I've seen the photo of them. (laughs) All right, John, let's talk around Salvador Dali. What's the key insight for you? Just the way he used very, very different thinking styles and modalities, even to the point that he sort of tapped into his subconscious through seeing what dreams brought to him into his consciousness with the spoon, you know, balancing. So it pinged him awake in in bed and he would suddenly be struck by some striking visual image. (laughs) So I thought that's good thinking just in drawing those thinking styles in. Don't stay too blinkered in one mode of thinking. Try and break out of that. Yeah. Good lesson for us. Oh, yeah. and grow a big moustache. Of course. And don't take LSD into the workplace, okay? Just do not try that at home. <laughs> and definitely not at work. Now, what I liked about, I don't like speaking about ourselves in the third person, but I love how he just woke up with a joyous outlook on the day and thought, what's the joyous thing I'm going to do today? So that setting intent. Just for me, Simon. Can you say it? Can you do it the way Salvador Dali does it? Go on. Okay. Let me, let, me, <laughs> let me just get the quote up to make sure I... I, I just got to hear what this sounds like. Hey, this John. be awesome. Every morning I wake up, I experience an exquisite joy, the joy of being Simon Banks. And I ask myself in rapture, what wonderful things is this Simon Banks going to accomplish today? Yeah, man, I, I feel pumped after that. <laughs> awesome you go boy go go (laughs) i like it i like it you said you read it out then you poke fun at me so yeah (laughs) last one andy warhol andy warhol very simply i just scribbled down look closer we were laughing about the campbell soup tins and stuff but it was just that looking at what's around seeing something in what is seemingly overlooked or mundane or whatever and actually seeing opportunity so i just thought he looked very closely at things and i think in what we do we can look closer and we'll often uncover some new ideas or some new opportunities yeah i like it think there's some mountains of valley you're not seeing in your organization and as a rule 
I've been told everyone's sitting on a mountain of value that they are ignoring. Now, John, I really liked, and this is going completely out of, I guess, the creative world in the sense that his business is about partnerships. He was a massive collaborator, which was happened at the factory and the ultimate crowdsourcing pioneer in the world of pop art. All his work was produced through collaboration. I really like this. If you think, I don't know how to do this, don't ask, how do I do this? Go, who do I find to help me to do this is a, is a really nice way. And that, you know, one plus one equals three and all that type of stuff. All right, John, that's us. Excellent. The end. I think that's us. Yeah. So uh, what do we want people to do, Simon? Well, look, we would love, as always, a rating. Now, John, the curious advent calendar is very close to coming to life. So soon we'll be saying download our curious advent calendar. But as always, tell your friends, subscribe, and also stay curious, make stuff, have fun, play more. So that dream idea, so take cutlery to bed, yeah? I'm going to balance it. I think I could balance that on the pillow. Obviously not near to Leslie. Though. Maybe the fork was the wrong idea. <laughs> <laughs>